Today I have my friend Ryan here again. Um, he's going to be with me on a lot of these podcasts, so I thought it'd be great to um, get his story, his journey, um, and kind of explain how he's, uh, where he's come from and um, his beliefs today. And um, yeah, I'll let uh, Ryan have the floor. Yep. Thanks, Kendall. Uh, good to be with you today. Um, well, as, um, as you and I have already chatted, but for the listeners, um, I think I'll just proceed with, um, just explaining some of, some of my background, some of how I got to where I am at the moment. Um, and as we all know, um, part of the journey, um, the journey is an integration of, physical movement and spiritual and mind movement. So I'm going to do the best I can to give the necessary contexts um, to be able to talk uh, more about, I think, some of the spiritual mind shifts that I've experienced. I think probably for most of us, that will, that's what will be more interesting anyway than just telling you uh, where I was born and how I proceeded to get to uh, Texas. Um, and then just, uh, I think as we noted, Kendall, you can just, uh, you know, chime in with question or comment whenever you want to. Um, otherwise I'll just kind of keep talking here. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, I was trying to think of where the best place to start and, um, needless to say, just for context for people, I'm just assuming that a lot of our listeners, um, don't know me at all. So it may just be helpful to have, some of the context, um, and it's that I was born and grew up in Africa. So my parents were Christian missionaries. And so I spent all of my childhood there and then coming back um, just around junior high, high school years. Um, I think important things to say there um, I <clears throat> are that a lot of the formation of my sense of self and identity oriented around uh, sports and performance therein and success therein, I should say. And um, so did all of that all through high school and whatnot and then went on to play football at Texas Tech as well. And um, needless to say, that that shaped a core bit of who I thought I was or as in my primary egoic sense of self oriented around um, some of the performance or success um, as it related to sports and really just doing in general. I could say either just not just productivity in general, but it's the general, um, you know, personality structure that gets solidified. That is, um, I am what I do or I am in the way that I succeed. So that, that is a core shaping that happened there. Um, I'll, I'll come back and say something about some of the core effect um, or I could say something now, but the core effect of, of growing up in Africa is needless to say, just an awareness of different ways in which people live, an awareness of different cultures, an awareness of different socioeconomic levels. Um, you know, all of my friends growing up to a particular age before we started going to this international school, um, were Kenyan and we're in a considerably different, uh, life and socioeconomic and everything, cultural situation than I was in. Of course, that's no problem when you're kids. You just play and have fun and it's not that big a deal. Um, but then you start to realize it when you start to get older that, wow, we, uh, there was an enormous amount of barriers that, were, that we did not even know were there. And um, so in a way, not only did we not tear them down, or maybe in some ways we did, but <clears throat> we, just, we just weren't even aware of them. 
uh, we just saw each other as, you know, um, as friends and um, spent all of our time together, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, I could say something about, you know, growing up in the Christian family that I did. Um, my parents are um, fantastic people in all the different ways in which people can be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, particularly as it relates to growing up as a Christian, I know a lot of people have an experience um, that can be really um, difficult depending on the church or the family um, that you're part of. Uh, for us, it wasn't that way. Our uh, our parents are particularly gracious um, people and their understanding of Christianity orients around grace and acceptance and love. And that's what we got growing up and that's what we've gotten all these years. So that, um, I'll say something more about this in a second, but I didn't have to experience some of the uh, trauma that I know people experience uh, being in different Christian, uh, for lack of a better word, sects, or, um, <clears throat> you know, some of them feel a lot more like cults, that kind of thing. Um, so I think one of the things that, that started to shift something for me is, um, when I was a senior in high school, um, you know, if you just have in your mind, like most of my days all day, every day was oriented around, um, you know, doing something, sports, um, you know, anything really, I can just say doing things like nonstop. Um, and then I had, um, my younger brother and I, we, we started to decide that we wanted to read a little bit. And so we started reading these books together and whatnot. Um, senior, this is my senior year of high school. And, uh, it's irrelevant that I was reading C.S. Lewis, Um, but it could also be relevant depending on who you are and how you see that kind of thing. Um, but I'll say the, the content of the book itself, I was reading, um, this book called mere Christianity. I think a lot of you who are within the Christian tradition have either read of it or you know of it. And in a way I can say it's irrelevant that I was reading that. And I don't even remember where in the book I was. Um, but I had a bit of, uh, an epiphany as a, or just a moment, um, a momentary kind of glimpse of something else as I was reading it. And I felt, um, I think what happened in general was I felt an enormous amount of warmth in my heart area. And I remember feeling like this is odd. I don't normally have this feeling anytime, especially when I'm reading. Um, But I felt an enormous amount of warmth and I felt... Um, what I would probably describe as, or I kind of saw what I would describe as um, gold, uh, gold light, for lack of better words, but kind of just faintly in my awareness. It's not like it's not like it shone around me and the voice of God said something to me. It was more like I just kind of felt um, gold and I felt the, the, the sight of gold, even though I was just, I had my eyes open and I was seeing what I was seeing and I was reading and whatnot. And, uh, the, the momentary awareness that I had was, um, it was kind of a moment of, uh, I, of course there's a lot to it. So let me just explain it uh, briefly. Um, it was a momentary felt awareness that I was looking for something that was outside of me, that I was looking for some truth or something as I was reading. And, and part, I think, of what was actually in the content of the book and just in a comment that must have triggered something in my mind was that I, I don't, um, that looking outwards, um, I'm not going to find what I'm looking for looking outwards, um, that there is truth to be found. And it is not in Ryan, per se, 
um, but it is within, as in in spirit, in uh, spirit within me, spirit within all of us, in that way within. And I have to clarify that because I've said before that I felt to to look within, and and most people feel that that's heresy as it relates to, or just ridiculous as it relates to. Um, um, why should I have that within me as Ryan? So let me clarify that what I felt was this, um, you know, awareness that there is truth to be found. Um, and it is helpful as a guide to read books, but that's not, that's not where ultimately it is found. Um, it was a momentary glimpse of something is already within me that I need to be aware of and allow to foster, to develop, to grow in my awareness. So that was a, a shift that happened in my mind and, and actually, um, what happened from there was I wanted to just quit sports. Like I just had this momentary kind of like feeling of I'm not doing what I'm here to do. Um, I w- it was in football at the time, which, um, you know, we went on to win state that year and then, you know, I go on to play football, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, even still, uh, like while I was, when I had that, that momentary glimpse and glimpse and for the next few weeks, a few months really, um, I just felt this. I don't want to. I don't want to play anymore. I don't need to play anymore. Um, I no longer need this for my, you know, sense of self. Or, um, <clears throat> yeah, I know. I, I feel like there's something else that I'm here to do. So that that uh, confused a lot. Needless to say, in my mind, I didn't tell most people that. I told my parents because I told them I, I wanted to quit and whatnot. But um, I didn't tell anybody else. And of course, that's just been in the back of my mind. But um, my brother and I um, proceeded to read pretty profusely. Um, and all th- I have two brothers and all three of us have read um, quite a lot uh, for these past number of years. But I specifically, I think I've averaged, you know, 100 plus books um, a year for the last uh, 15 years um, easily. And um, I mean, it's more than that, but that, just given a, given a picture um, of kind of what the, what, so one could hear that and say, well, that's funny, Ryan, you didn't really listen to the, to the words, did you? Cause you kind of proceeded to look outwards and I'll say, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I think this is the little bit of the Christian tradition that is not very well taught or very well understood. And that is how do you, um, get in touch with and listen to the guidance and the wisdom of the spirit within you. And that's what I didn't know. And that's, and that's completely fine. And in, not that I can say that I know it 100% now, but that was kind of a journey of, of growing to understand what does that look like? Um, because I'll be the first to say, and I think we all need to be aware of, that a lot of times when we think we're paying attention to a voice within us, um, it's, it's it, unless we've done a lot of practice and a lot of meditation, a lot of awareness, a lot of probably um, self-introspection, it's probably not the greatest voice and it's probably not the voice you think it is and that can get you into a lot of trouble. And that certainly happened for me, you know, uh, quite a number of times. Um, but so I think part of what the journey was, was the, the recognition of uh, the mirroring back to me of truth and awareness through books, through teachers, through guides, um, and then slowly by slowly that built up, built up, I think an appreciation for, and I think a, um, an ability to see some of the streams or some of the themes, um, of truth that were kind of woven throughout, uh, not just books that I was reading, but, um, guides and teachers that I felt really resonant with, um, you know, whose words and teachings, I, I really felt there was something there. And, um, you know, later in my life, <clears throat> I started to, 
pay attention to what those streams were and realize that they were all they were all saying the the same thing and saying the thing that I needed to hear the most. And in in some of that and all of that, I think it developed and grew my ability to listen and ability and what I could say, not that I, I, I cannot say this in any way, like I'm super good at it or that I'm better than anybody else at it. Um, but just in my own, for my own journey, my own process, I am better at listening now to what I feel like are the deeper prompts of spirit than listening to all the voices that are in my head. And mainly because I've spent a lot of time paying attention to what those voices in my head sound like. And so now it's pretty clear to me um, when a voice comes up and says a particular thing, I can say, mm, I know where that's coming from. And um, <clears throat> so that's where some of the guidance um, and bit that's been a long part of my journey. Um, let me just pause there for a moment. Do you have any thoughts or comments so far? Yeah. Um, my first question was, I was just wondering kind of, you know, early on you were talking about that your sense of self-worth was from doing, being active. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any idea where that came from? Was that parents? Was that just your own personality? Was that society? What, mm -hmm. Do you have an idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I'm in the, you know, from a psychological point of view, I really appreciate the awareness of how we interiorize particular experiences and or comments that are made towards us via our primary caregivers, parents, and people around us, et cetera. And so um, what I'm aware of now is that um, in a way I can say it has nothing to do with my parents, as we all know. Um, in another way, of course it does, but not because of anything that they did per se, um, but more because of why a part of me chose to interiorize particular experiences and statements. So like, for example, I mean, I have no doubt that, I mean, you know, same as I've had to work at doing in the best way with our children, with our girls, um, I have no doubt that I interiorized <clears throat> a lot of statements early on. Um, I was, I was um, very quickly, um, you know, walking, running, athletic, um, you know, doing, I was trying to do everything that my older brother was doing, you know, and of course I was praised for it because I developed really quickly in mm -hmm. terms of motor skills and physiologically. And, um, so I was, you know, I was fast really early on. I could, you know, I could do a lot of things as it related to physically. Um, so I have no doubt that that there was kind of a snowball effect of that. And no doubt a lot of the words that uh, even one of my earliest memories is of being praised for, um, running fast and doing something. So no doubt all that stuff lodged in there. And then mm -hmm. as that, but as that snowballed and grew, um, in a way that just became a primary aspect of myself that gave me security mm -hmm. and control and comfort, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like later, and I can just say it now. So when we moved back, um, when we moved from Kenya to Texas, I shouldn't say moved back when, for the first time, when I moved to Texas, um, we were, we were very out of the loop culturally, needless to say, mm -hmm. and we were very out of the loop in every single way, you know? So the thing that gave us, um, solidity and security, um, was sports. And that was very easily, especially here in Texas where everything orients around sports, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially football. Right. And, um, so that was the thing that very quickly gave me kind of an end to having friends and things like that. So no doubt, you know, just a lot of experiences in my life kind of solidified this narrative that was a core part of my psyche, which was Ryan, as long as you are succeeding or performing well, you're going to have friends, you're going to, you know, you're going to do well enough. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. That's great insight. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, 
Yeah, just a comment, you know. Of course, I read I read Mirror Christianity as well. I, I enjoyed it. I love C.S. Lewis. Um, but it's just funny knowing our personality structures, um, you know, me being an Enneagram 4 and you 5. Um, I, I feel like my deep experiences of love and of God from reading um, have come more from fiction. And mm-hmm. I appreciate Mirror Christianity. Um, but, you know, it's more from fiction for me. So it's just interesting to note uh, differences. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, you yeah, know, it, it's all good in the various ways we, we, we experience God. Um, and then I was going to, yeah. um, you know, some things you said uh, that maybe reading for us was a realization or illumination of a deep truth that we realize is already deep inside of us, a part of us, um, rather than we're gaining that from these books externally. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the books and, of course, everything we experience in life is helping us um, – external guys are helping us discern the different voices that are mm-hmm. inside of us. And so um, it's still, of course, helpful rather than just being like, hey, you just need to mm-hmm. go within. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, they're both helpful, obviously. 100%. Yeah, that's really well said um, because I think this is a key key thing for my own journey, but I think for a lot of people too, is, you know, a lot of people hear the statement or, you know, from someone or anyone um, the kingdom of heaven is within you or um, the divine is within you. All you need to do is look inside, you know, all, all that stuff. And that's all great. And of course there's, there's, you know, a very beautiful and wonderful truth that is in that. But I think precisely, this is precisely one of the difficulties that people run into is that if you, if you do not spend sufficient time paying attention to all of the narratives and the voices that you have within you. And I think, you know, you being a psychology um uh, you know, major working towards being a counselor and everything, you know, as well as anybody. And I think a lot of, a lot of listeners here probably know that there's a good bit of research that has helped to show that the way in which um, parts of our psyches work is almost like split off parts. Mm. It's almost like, um, um, many little different, we have many little <laughs> personalities within us. Right. Yeah. As you well know. And part of, you know, I'll get later to starting to read the work of Carl Jung, but part of his work and part of what his, I think, contribution and gift to all of us was, was, you know, pre-internal family systems therapy was the awareness of you have all of these little parts of you that have learned and adapted and are coping and are trying to help you in a lot of different ways. Um, but the integration of them, the willingness to pay attention to them and also to allow them to be integrated under a, a core self, as he calls it, capital S self, um, is part of the work of integration and is part of the work of individual individuation, as he would say it, which we would just say is part of the work of maturity. It's mm-hmm. part of the work of actually being able to pay attention to um, the the personality structure, why it is the way it is, how we've developed as we've developed, and the recognition that there's an enormous amount of that that is, if you can say, that is hell-bent on your own survival mm-hmm. and your own, um, you know, Ernest Becker has a wonderful phrase, self-esteem maintenance, mm-hmm. that entirety of your personality structure orients around keeping this separate self, this sense of separate self as Ryan, as important and feeling valuable and feeling worthy. And, you know, and then of course, all these little voices that come in that you've been interiorized of like, no, you're not because you haven't done this. <laughs> like you could do this better. Right. Um, you know, you're the worst in this area, you know, those kinds of things. Mm. But a lot of people, I think we you just completely, you know, we call it spiritual bypassing. You just completely bypass all of that and just say, no, no, I'm God. 
or I'm the divine or whatever. Right. It's like, well, well, great. Yeah. But the actual integral experience of you and your ability to, to work in this world and to be in relationship with people in this world is absolutely tied to your ability to integrate and, or your ability to, to grow and grow in wholeness, or if, however you'd like to say that, to grow in, in alignment with that spirit self, that, that true part of you, you know what I mean? Mm, right. Yeah. That's all great. Um, I'll let you uh, continue your story. <laughs> okay, awesome. Thanks for that <clears throat> that sidestepping sermon there. Um, yeah, um, you know, just uh, to not have to drag this on a long time for, um, you know, a lot of us here. Um, after, you know, I went to Texas Tech, you know, mainly to play football. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I started studying um, international business. And I just had this vague thought in my mind that, um you know, a, a real part of me that I think really wanted to do something that was helpful and that was giving back in a way mm. and that was supportive of my Kenyan friends and, you know, the communities that I had grown up in. Um, but I know all, another part of me, and I think, you know, remind me if I don't hit this bit in the narrative, but another, another part of that was just a little bit of guilt, a little bit of guilt mm. of I grew up in a way in which I had so much more socioeconomically. And so maybe um, I think I was driven a little bit by guilt as I kind of learned later um, of needing to give back, needing to do something to to help and or to elevate um, some of our, you know, I'll say friends, communities in Kenya or sub-Saharan Africa. So I started studying international business, kind of not having any clue like where to go with that. Um, once I quit football, I um, one, I took a trip over to Africa and Europe, mainly just traveling around, seeing a bunch of different uh, missionaries and, and groups and, um, you know, organizations and whatnot, seeing what all people are doing and just appreciating kind of the vast array of um, efforts and works that people are doing. I learned a lot, needless to say, about the types of things that work and the types of things that don't, or rather, you can't say it that way, what work is a, is a, is an organization doing, you know, what is it actually affecting or achieving? So I learned a lot in that. And then when I, when I got back to, um, I had a year and a bit left of college and, uh, met an individual who was a professor at Texas tech at the time who became a really good friend and mentor who is my international finance um, teacher. And, um, he's the one who introduced me to a way of, of financial services and or banking for those who are slightly less um, economically, um, um, uh, or let me say that, for those who are in a slightly less socioeconomic um, st uh, state. Let me say this better. It relates to microfinance, um, but I, I always have to, uh, you know, depending on how much anybody in this circle knows about microfinance, there'd be a lot that I would have to say by way of explaining um the the positives and negatives of it of it and how it works. Um, so I'm not going to go into that right now. But just to say, um, you know, it provides financial services for those who do not have access to formal financial services and institutions and whatnot. And it's a very interesting, um, yeah, it's a very interesting thing um, created by um, former, you know, a, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, um, Dr. Muhammad Yunus. And uh, so I uh, took an internship uh, with uh, Muhammad Yunus and wow. uh, Grameen Bank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that summer, um, I, you know, I, something in me said, this is a part of what I need to do. So I went over to Bangladesh um, that summer. Actually, the first half of the summer, I was in uh, France um, studying French. Um, and then the second half of the summer, I was in Bangladesh um, working as an intern um, with uh, Grameen Bank. Um, 
Well, what were you studying French for? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, since I was an international finance major, I had to study a language. I wanted to do Arabic, but they just took away Arabic right when I was about to sign okay. up. So French was the next one, the only one that I could do mm -hmm. to achieve graduating within a year. Okay. So that's what I did. And then the, it opened up to get to go study in Montpellier, which Got was it. really enjoyable. It yeah. seemed a little random, so I just wanted yeah. a little... It, it, was, it was very random, I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right, continue. No, that's good. And um, yeah, so did that and came back, um, you know, graduated, um, uh, applied a lot for a lot of positions that worked all over the world, kind of in the area of microfinance, um, uh, small business development, that kind of thing. And um, didn't get anything for a while. So started working at a bank here, which, um, you know, in a large way, I'll say I'm grateful for it because I appreciate the people who were there. So I appreciate all the people working at a bank was the worst, but I appreciated all the people. Um, and, and some of them I still have good relationships with now. And uh, yeah, so I really, there's a lot that I appreciate about that time, but it helped me to realize that I don't want to be in the formal financial world. Um, so then it opened up a possibility of actually being able to do microfinance with a group in Kenya, um, who is this missionary group uh, with whom I've been working for a lot of years now. Um, and so I went ahead and said, yeah, let me go over to Kenya, start um, working with this microfinance group. And, um, so got over there. Um, that's when I met, um, when I got over there, um, who is now my wife was there for a year previous to I getting over there. And, um, so met her, um, we got married within 10 months and then um, proceeded to work um, both in our positions there. We were working for the same organization in Nairobi, Kenya. And, um, so proceeded to work there for another couple of years and then started to realize that our time was coming to a shift, um, there or coming to a change and needed some shift. So we shifted to where my brother and his wife and family had recently moved, which is Malawi, which is Southern Eastern Africa. For those who are not familiar where it, where Malawi is. Um, so we moved down to Malawi and that's where we've been for these last eight years until moving back, um, last May. So that kind of gives you just the trajectory of where I've been for the last 15 years and whatnot. But, um, now some of the probably more interesting things to say about that journey, um, or do you have any comments or questions thus far? Yeah. Um, you know, you earlier on, and I don't know if this is something that we need to touch on, but you know, you were saying you felt, uh, that you're, you felt some guilt and that's, part of your motivation for getting into microfinance. And, you know, <clears throat> since uh, as growing older myself and kind of realizing that my own, my own privilege and um, that I've had some guilt too. And, um, but I guess I was just, I was just going to say that, you know, just, um, you know, I think in times past for me that I've sometimes not gone ahead and done something. Cause I'm like, I don't have totally pure motives, you mm, know, like it has yeah. to be pure. And so yeah. again, just, uh, Note that, you know, just because we're not um, totally pure in our motives or whatever, have some guilt or that doesn't mean that, that, that it's something we shouldn't do that God can't use us. And, you know, he, he's always using um, man and we're, we're always uh, incomplete, you know. And, yeah, so. 100%. <laughs> That's well said because uh, I, I would say in the, in the exact same vein, um, I didn't have the full awareness. Um, I wasn't very self-aware when I moved to Kenya, to mm -hmm. say it that way. And a lot of a lot of this um, journey happened as I started um, being in Kenya and then moving down to Malawi specifically. And yeah, one hundred percent. What I what I started to have some awareness that I don't have completely pure motives. And um, you know, some of my motives are 
um, I think I'm in a better position than other people. So let me try and help those other people, mm-hmm. you know, a very colonialist type um, attitude. And of course I, I wasn't aware of that until like I got over there and started to be aware of that. And it was like, Oh snap, like, should I just quit? Or should I, you know, uh-huh. go do something else? Cause right. I'm noticing some of these narratives coming up, coming to the surface that I wasn't aware of. Um, but like you said, no, like usually I think what we can say is, it's the awareness of them that's really important mm, right. and the willingness to actually look at them mm-hmm. and to look at like where they've come from, but also to be able to look at, um, even though I could say it another way, I think, I think part of the healing process is of being willing to actually look at, you know, unhelpful motives or, you know, unhelpful desires or whatever, mm-hmm. and just sitting with them mm-hmm. and allowing them to be there mm-hmm. um, with kind of a, a feeling and uh, with kind of a, it, it is the it is operating out of the principle that everything belongs and that everything is okay and that I don't need to get one angry with myself for having a particular you know narrative or thought um, but that's where I ask myself like do I want to live with this thought like is this the most helpful for me and for others does it allow me to align with the truth of who I know I am and align with the truth of who I know others are and if not then I this is where I would say like, and not to diverge us, and it would be a whole nother explanation to say, um, how do you actually start to release um, these, you know, uh, some of that which we've been conditioned or picked up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, over our lifetimes? You know, how do you actually release them? And I think that's that's one of the key questions that I think, you know, some people don't have tools tools for at all. Right. And even I say a lot of Christians, you know, um, you know, I think kind of how we tend to think about it is oh, well, I'll just try not to do anything bad and I'll just try not to have any negative thoughts or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's like that that normally, that one willpower, but also the trying to avoid them, that normally doesn't work, right? <laughs> I mean, normally there there has to be some way in which there is an, an, a recognition of, a sitting with, a processing, an integration of, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all the aspects of the self that we feel are not, are not, are not worthy. Um, they, they shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? And so that that's where some of this process started to happen. So like, for example, I've already said that. Um, I can say it in another way. W- what I started to realize was, um, even though I, I would have never said this consciously, um, you know, during this time, but what I, what I started to realize was my primary disposition was... I have the truth. Like mm-hmm. I know, I know what you guys don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you guys would just listen to me, then everything would go better for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I started to realize that that's kind of the the stance that I was taking, especially, you know, a lot of this awareness coming up when we were in Malawi. And because, and so this is some of the key, some of the key things that happened because what I realized was I had an enormous amount of angst and frustration and mm-hmm. anger towards fundamentalist Christians, mm-hmm. for lack of better words, towards Christians who I would just name as, you know, I would say are on the very conservative side of things and who hold to their beliefs and their ideas so hard and so tightly that they elevate it over relationships, over love, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. However, anybody wants to name that, um, you know, traditionally we'd just say fundamentalist um, like, um, and I, that those were the individuals with whom we were working in Malawi. Mm-hmm. So I had an enormous, I was triggered by them every single day. I mean, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, so what I started to realize was um, I thought the reason why 
I had gone to Malawi was to help develop these programs. Um, you know, we did a lot of programs and that's, that's irrelevant, but it's just, to sh it's just to say kind of what we were doing was these holistic development programs to help somebody's awareness, their self-awareness, their, their God awareness, their whatever relationships. And their of course, their socioeconomic, you know, all these different areas of life mm -hmm. to, to be strengthened in whatever way is most helpful or appropriate for them, you know? And, but needless to say, there's a lot in that, that is, um, I think there's a particular way of being able to, to do that. I think there's a particular way of thinking that's more helpful than others. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I started to realize it was very Ryan ego oriented, mm -hmm. like the whole of it. And again, like you said earlier, not that a lot of good didn't come out of it. I mean, for sure it did. And that's what I'm grateful for. Cause like there were, there are a number of different ways in which, um, I things could have gone even better than they did if I would have brought in other people's perspectives mm. and had a bit a bit of a different approach to it. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, I I was it was a very um, it was an ego driven kind of thing, and I wanted to you know I wanted this to be successful partly for them, but also partly for myself. Right. You know what I mean? So I started to realize all that, and I and so this kind of leads up to I think one of the main things that happened, and we can kind of just talk around this is. Um, it, it was, um, I think in 2017, I think that's right. If my memory serves me or the beginning of 2018, either way, it was kind of this series of months where, um, I started to re recognize that I was living with a lot of, of fear and what I, what I started to realize and a lot of anxiety. So one of the things, what triggered it was maybe the listeners will find this interesting. Maybe they won't every few years. Um, but it happened just in this year while we were there. Um, this, um, a rumor is promoted that there are vampires, oh. and that the vampires are indeed not only real, but they are the ones who are causing a lot of harm. Um, so what really happens is um, an opposing political party starts to affect the way in which people think um, by going around and really causing havoc and blaming it on vampires wow. and doing a lot of very not, you know, uh -huh. uh, not good things. That, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm sure that we can make some comparisons with propaganda in the oh, yeah. America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. It's the same thing everywhere, isn't it? And this one is just interesting because it plays upon, um, you know, an enormously uneducated. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean that in the way of like, it's very unfortunate that the education system in Malawi is one of the worst um, in Africa, for sure. And uh, so they play upon that by by promoting this idea that you know they they'll kill kill people, break in at night, do all sorts of things, wreak havoc in villages, and then blame it on vampires. And so this idea goes around, starts circulating, and everybody believes like there are vampires and they are messing with us. <laughs> and then you know, so it forces the current president and the political party to have to shift and to have to like you know go in emergency mode to si try and solve it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you know they have their own games that they're playing there. Right. But the reason why that's important is because they started to, to name that the vampires are white people. Mm. So uh, needless to say, um, the color of my skin is as somebody would say white, even though it's not, it's more like pinkish, pinkish tan, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, um, so what started to happen was um, there was a number of attacks on, on white people 
um, in Malawi, you know, just um, people driving along the road, their cars getting attacked, things like that. So I, at that time, because of some gut issues that I was having, which of course is all related to all this, mm-hmm. um, I was about to travel to South Africa. So I think what happened one afternoon, and I remember it as clear as day, um, I had this fear awareness that what if something happens to Justine and the girls, you know, my wife mm-hmm. and the girls. Uh, while I'm in South Africa and there's nothing I can do about it, et cetera. And I just went into this kind of tailspin of anxiety and and fear. And um, what happened is what I've never experienced before, which is like losing all energy and all ability and or motivation to do anything. And for lack of better words, I don't know what an anxiety kind of like breakdown kind of thing is like, but if it's anything like that, you know, something to that effect happened where for at least two weeks, I couldn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any motivation to do anything. I didn't have any energy to do anything. I was unbelievably um, on edge mm-hmm. slash I could cry at any moment, just kind of out of the overwhelming feeling of everything, mm-hmm. you know? So whatever happened or shifted in my mind or psyche, I don't really know. I can't really name. But Is that sort of a depression or panic attack kind of? Yeah, I think panic attack maybe feels like it jives with that right. more. And mm-hmm. I can't say if mm-hmm. that's actually what it was or not, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what it feels like mm-hmm. based on what you've said before and what, what talking to some other people. Mm-hmm. It's something to that effect. And I can say it for sure oriented around fear and anxiety. Right. And, right. and it, did, it did feel like that. Like on every side, there was going to be a problem or a threat or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So something like that. Um, so I, I still had to proceed to go to South Africa. And um, so I had to like work through that myself. Um, But one of the things that happened, I'm precisely here, or let me just say um, what I think this, the awareness that this brought to my mind was and why I'm sharing this, why it's important is because it showed me that what I thought were my cognitive beliefs and what I thought I believed, what I thought I thought was not true, like down to the core of like how I was living Mm -hmm. and how I was being in a way. Mm -hmm. So in a way there was a disconnect or a a difference between um, my being and what I was doing and saying and thinking, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because I would have said, um, I, I had a perfectly good and perfect, you know, perfectly, uh, yeah, not just good, a perfectly, um, uh, what's the word, robust kind of worldview that was oriented around love. And, you know, there wasn't anything right. fearful in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, because of my own um, conditioning, my own thought patterns, et cetera, et cetera, we're all oriented around. And I think we can just say that in general, though that's a conversation for another time, um, how coping mechanisms um, form into personality structures and they're oriented around fear largely, mm-hmm. if not 100%. And um, so that's that's what I re- that's what I started to realize was – Man, Ryan, all all the ways in which you think you're trying to help someone, you actually have all the same problems, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And that's what this breakdown I think really was. It was this realization that I thought I was, you know, up here, you know, higher than where everybody I was with there mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say like socioculturally, um, the Malayan culture is oriented completely around fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the entirety of it is oriented around all these different ways of coping. Um, in fact, one of the sayings or the verbiage around it is there is fear on every side. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just the essence of the culture is that there's fear on every side. And it's, and it's quite simply that, and that's how people live their lives. And so of course, you know, I had been trying to walk them through different ways of seeing and different ways of thinking. And then here I was experiencing the exact <laughs> same thing that many of them have to cope with, you know, every single day. So I think part of what happened for me was just a massive, um, kind of, uh, crushing or a massive, mm-hmm. um, self-awareness that was, a. Uh, Ryan, you're not you're not being as integral, or mm. you're not having the integrity that you think you have. Mm. Um, there's a whole lot that is driving all of my thoughts and my actions and whatnot. That is not that is not as pretty as I <laughs> thought it was. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's the main thing that happened here. And um, let me pause there in case you have anything. Or yeah, that that's all great. I think you you said it well. I'll just keep going then. So kind of what happened here was, and I feel, I feel with whatever words anybody wants to say about guidance that comes um, in times like this, um, I'm not going to try and name anything uh, as to where it came from or like, you know, the, the, um, yeah, I'll say as to where it came from, but I'll say the power of it is that when I was in South Africa, um, I was driving around and I was like, and I was trying, like if anybody, if any of our listeners and, or I know you Kendall have been in moments where, you know, if it's a panic attack or, you know, high anxiety Mm -hmm. modes, it's really an effort just to keep your mind functioning and keeping you doing what it is that you need to do, Mm -hmm. keeping you not to go off into any tangents of fear, whatever. So I remember I was driving, I was driving this rental car that I had trying to get around. I was in Johannesburg and, um, and his chaos driving and whatnot. So I was like, I was really focused, you know, trying to make sure also just trying to keep my mind off of any of the fears, et cetera. And I remember, um, popped up on my phone, uh, a podcast that I was listening to at the time, um, with an individual by the name of uh, Dr. Eben Alexander. Some of you are familiar with him, uh, neuro, uh, scientist, um, who experienced, um, a near death experience in a really profound way. And um, the podcast was with him. So it immediately popped up and I was in a traffic jam. And so in order to keep my mind off of things, I went ahead and just started listening to it. Whereas, uh, you know, any other day I would have said, probably not the greatest place to be learning something that's new and that's interesting and whatnot. But it was helping me to keep my mind off of it. So I started listening to it. And um, there was something, you know, there's a whole number of things in that podcast that that really started to shift things in me. But in all honesty, um, and uh, I think what I experienced in that moment was um, that he experienced, and I'll say I experienced via him, uh, via his own experience, um, and then of course subsequently now I've read you know thousands of them, as I know you have too, um, and the way in which they provide to us um, a, a glimpse and or a feel for what it is that we're not always aware of, mm. you know, the, the spiritual dimensions, the spiritual plane, however you'd like to say it. And um, the particular, you know, narrative that he gave was one of there's nothing to fear mm. and there's nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, and even especially for, and that was one of the powerful things about his story, for those of us who know it, especially for your, your um, significant others, you know, and your children, et cetera. And one of the beautiful things about his story, I think it related to his sister specifically, um, but it was just this overwhelming feeling of um, uh, trust, um, and the words that came through was all shall be well and all the manner of things shall be well from, of course, the mystic. And um, and I felt that sitting in the car, I felt this complete shift of everything will be okay. 
and everything is is working together for a particular end um, that is for everyone's highest good, not just mine, but for everyone's highest good. And it was a real moment of, um, needless to say, I mean, needless to say, I, I broke down and started crying. And I had to pull off to the side because I couldn't see, mm. and I was in a I was in a you know a tight uh, driving situation. So I had to pull off to the side and allow myself just to experience it. And I I won't say I I don't need to say or to try and prove anything about that. But I will say that I was in South Africa for gut issues, and I had this this you know anxiety thing going on. And I'll say from that moment forward. Um, largely both of those were gone. I mean, wow. you know, I still for another year, I think to be honest, I still had a little bit of gut issues. And then it turned out that that related to my diet. Mm -hmm. So once I really shifted that and shifted some of, you know, there was one or two other dynamics I think that related to, but I can say as a whole, things largely just shifted from that moment. And what I, what I think I experienced was a bit of a, of the, you know, the felt experience and or the felt knowing uh, of not just a cognitive worldview or a cognitive of, cause I could have said, or anybody could have said, Hey Ryan, everything's going to be okay. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, we all know, <laughs> do not tell anybody that when they're in a, when they're in an anxiety attack or anything like that, mm -hmm. cause the, the brain can't hear it. So right. I don't know how or why this broke through like it did, but in mm -hmm. some way it just completely broke through to my willingness to actually hear that and to feel it. And um, that shifted something. So uh, maybe I'll pause there. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say that, you know, I used to read a near-death experience uh, one a day. <laughs> wow. Um, and uh, those were were all very powerful to me. And um, yeah, it just connected more emotionally, more just deep within my my spirit of, man, this just resonates and feels um, the message of everything's going to be okay. And there's nothing to fear. And uh, we, we, we complicate things so much and, uh, just mm -hmm. to rest in that feeling of peace and, and joy and love. Um, and that's what re really resonates from, from those, from those stories. So, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really powerful that it had such an effect on you and, um, mm -hmm. changing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, well then, so what happened from that was, you know, it, uh, Dr. Eben Alexander, you know, for those of you who are aware of him and his colleagues and the work that they do, um, not only are they some of the chief, um, you know, researchers now of near-death experience, um, but also um, he's developed what they call sacred sounds, um, which are different, um, you know, in a way binaural beats, but done in a different way. I, I feel they they sound differently. They are experienced differently than other binaural beats that I've heard. Um, and what why I'm saying this is because I immediately started listening to those because that's what he suggested by way of opening up, you know, the part of you that hasn't gotten the light of day. Um, you know, whether, anyway, and I say that that's a lot of different parts, you know, whether that's parts of your psyche or that's an opening to the spirit within you. Um, and so I started listening to those as meditation and as, um, you know, yes, uh, as meditation, I should say. And that started opening up a whole new series of not just experiences, but I'll say felt guidances. Um, so for me, the way my life has always worked, and I'm sure it's the same with a lot of people, um, I don't get, you know, like words of like, hey, Ryan, go here and do this or whatever. You know what I mean? The way it happens for me is just the most obvious and logical things come up at the perfect time. And I say it that way to say like wherever my mind is, not that they're cognitively logical, but wherever my mind is at that moment and thinking, you know what, I, I really need to pay attention to 
to meditative, uh, to meditative postures, experiences, whatever. Um, so a whole bunch of resources start coming up into my experience to be able to do that. Mm. And then I started to have really interesting dreams, which I've never paid attention to before. Mm. So, and then just right at that moment, key resources to help me understand what's going on by way of dreams started mm. coming up. And it was at that time that I started reading Carl Jung and, you know, he opens up a whole different set <laughs> of things, you know? Um, and then, um, you know, several, the, you know, just one by one, everything just starts to open up. And that's mm -hmm. where I'll just say it felt, it felt very synchronistic, mm -hmm. you know, each one of those. And I'm not going to try and make a big claim like God was sending things my way or, you know, but just, they felt very synchronistic. They were exactly what I needed in kind of a progressive kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so what all of that started to do for me, um, you know, and then, you know, so I started spending long periods. I stopped all my reading during this time. Um, just for, well, I'll say just for a period here, um, I was doing long periods of sitting in silence, uh, meditation, long periods of doing the Barnall beats, uh, long periods of paying attention to and interpreting dreams that were occurring. And it was about a period of about three months where it was like, I couldn't get enough. I mean, I, I couldn't get enough of silence and I couldn't get enough of just processing what was going on. You know what I mean? And then after about that three months, it was just like, things opened up in my mind enough and resources were kind of flying at me um, by way of books and podcasts and people's teachings and whatnot that I, that I kind of dove headlong into, um, you know, all this literature that orients around consciousness, near death experience stuff, you know, sp different uh, dimensions as it relates to a lot of the mystical um, traditions um, from particular religious traditions. So, you know, of course, Hermetic and Kabbalah and Gnostic and Advaita Vedanta and all these started to like just open up in my awareness and started to read them. And, and then of course, what always happens the moment that you start reading any of that is one, it's a flood of stuff. And so you have to figure out um, what is it that I can hold on to, and mm. what is it that I can say, mm, I'm not so sure about that right now. Right. Um, and so I started to realize that there was kind of a thread um, through all of this that I was, I was utilizing as a plumb line um, to be able to know what, what can I just hold on to for now and even loosely, and then what can I just release for now? And what I realized later is that that, that thread, that plumb line was this, um, the idea, and uh, not the idea, I'll say the person of Jesus, but the ideas that I feel that I, I, I most gained and most appreciate um, from not just my upbringing, but what I felt was true in myself. And that is, for me, the experience of that, that we are all um, as one family. We are all brothers mm -hmm. and sisters. And as such, um, it's most helpful in a way to understand God as Father and mm. father of all of us, which is to say that we are all a part of one another, which mm. is to say that that what I do for you, to you, I'm doing to myself, et cetera. Mm. So I started to, you know, I, I knew I, in some way, I would just say, you know, I feel that to be true. And then, you know, other things that go along with that. And Jesus's primary themed words that the kingdom of heaven is, is within you. And more than that, um, you know, of course, that can mean a whole lot of different things. But what is start to feel from that is is some of the words that we get elsewhere in Scripture, um, which I know some of our listeners are not too keen on, you know, maybe anything the Bible says or maybe you don't have any history with it. So that notwithstanding, in either way, I'll just say just because it was part of my background, you know, this just awareness that um, because of this overarchingly generous, um, you know, divine stance towards us and with us, um, however you'd like to say that, 
um, that we are safe and that there's okay and that we're okay, that there's there's nothing to fear. And in fact, now everything can be included, everything can belong in a mm. way, because it will get reconciled into this larger narrative of the way in which, you know, spirit or how you'd like to say that is working all things out for the good of all. You know what I mean? So that kind of thread is what I was holding on to. And so like I can say no problem. There's there's a lot that jives with that in in Kabbalah. And there's a lot that doesn't. And there's a lot that jives with that in, in some of the Gnostic texts that we have. And there's some that doesn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like you can't just you can't just take wholesale everything. But right. and this is where I'll just say it's my own subjective, you know, um, you know, plumb line. So if somebody else reads it and they get a different feel from it, great. You know, more power to you. But like my own, my own like kind of subjective, um, you know, what I wanted to hold on to, what I felt was right to hold on to, and what I didn't. But part of what that did for me was start to realize that there's truth everywhere. Mm. And in fact, you could say it like, um, you know, these real kernels or streams or threads of truth, you know, come up in everyone and everything. And of Mm. course they do in religious traditions, especially the wisdom aspects of the religious traditions. But of course they do in every other person Mm -hmm. because that person is also a thread in the, the spirit life of God, however you'd like to say it. So that's what I started to feel was I can, I can really start to pay attention to And I think part of one point that I'm making here is what I started to realize was I can really listen to and appreciate where my brother and sister are coming from Mm. and where they are right now. Mm. And I don't have to have the angst of trying to get them to a different place, you know? So like my, my very conservative Christian brother and sister in Malawi, I can, I don't have to, I don't have to try and change them, you know? And that is just unbelievably freeing, you know, coming from the posture of, man, I've got to convince everybody that I'm right and that they're wrong and that their lives will be a lot better off if they could just do what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So it, it not only engendered an enormous amount of, I think, humility, but it opens up this, this possibility that truth can be spoken through anyone and, any, and, and anything. Mm-hmm. And so part of my experience here, and I think part of what happened was... I allowed myself to drop this angst that I had towards having to save people or Mm. having to help people in any way. You know what I mean? Mm. And I started to realize that it was a very large component of my egoic structure Mm. um, that I needed to be helpful, that I needed to be useful to people. You know what I mean? That it was was something in me that really needed that. (laughs) So starting to drop that, it just freed up a lot of things. So like, for example... Um, you know, just one or two stories here to say, and this is this is like my now regular experience. Um, even had an experience that was like this uh, last week, and then one a couple weeks ago. So, like, this is just my regular experience now of what happens when we give our willingness to see someone differently or to mm. see a situation differently um, from a perspective. We maybe we could say the you know from our spirit self or capital S self, however you however you'd like to say that. Um, and like, for example, um, I had, I had a really difficult relationship with one of our key, um, colleagues, um, one of our key leaders, um, there in Malawi, mainly because he and I saw things literally the exact opposite on everything. You know what I mean? So naturally we, there was going to be a bit of conflict and a bit of, you know, trying to, you know, it got to, we just had to avoid each other. We just couldn't even be together. We couldn't talk about anything because we knew we were on such opposite sides of everything, you know, not least of which, Christianity, religion, God, et cetera. 
that we couldn't talk about anything. So what I started to do in this time was I started to pay attention to all the people and situations that I feel a lot of angst about. And I started to ask, you know, spirit within me, however you'd like to say it, to help me to see them differently. Mm. And I think what started to happen was I started to see them differently. And, and of course, you know, that's, it's kind of shocking when it happens because one of the things that happened like with this gentleman, um, and I won't say names or anything like that, um, he, um, I started just giving him all of my, I uh, started doing a blessing for lack of better words, practice to where I would, I would bless all the people that I was particularly frustrated with, um, you know, or had some angst towards and, um, and, you know, just aiming to change my own mind and my own heart about them towards them. And, you know, who knows, whatever happens from that happens, but at least I don't want to hold on to any, uh, any angst or frustration towards them. So I started to do that. And, you know, uh, within, within three days on this one, now it doesn't always like happen that fast. And I'm not trying to say, you know, A plus B equals C, but within three days on this one, um, maybe because it was particularly charged, um, I, I spent three, you know, the good bits of my quiet time for three days, extending love and appreciation towards him. Um, even though like I'll say cognitively, I would disagree with him on everything, you know what I mean? But just as a person, like as, as the truth, the core of who he is. Mm -hmm. Um, and day three, um, you know, we avoid each other. I'm still avoiding him. And, um, but I'm just doing this in my mind. You know what I mean? Day three, he comes to my office and he sits down at my table and my desk. And I'm, of course I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, snap, you know, uh, what did I do wrong this time? You know, that kind of thing, whatever. And he just says, um, you know, I just wanted to tell you that I apologize for the ways in which I've resisted you and resisted like what you've said. Mm -hmm. And, um, he said, I, I think I need to ask for your forgiveness because I think I feel that you and I could work better together if we were willing to actually Mm -hmm. listen to each other, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It was a really powerful moment that we had. That was, I mean, you know, at this point we're five years into a relationship that has been nothing but animosity. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, and then here, there we are just, and I did nothing except bless him in my mind. And, and I, and who knows what happened in his mind, but, but after that, after that moment right there, and it was a beautiful moment, needless to say, um, all, all of the angst that I felt towards him was completely gone. Mm. Needless to say, and I could, with a clear and pure mind and heart, be able to say that I love and appreciate him. And I, of course, do to this day. And um, so it's, it's those types of things that started happening that I started to realize, man, the way in which I've been going about this um, has not been has not been in alignment with what it is that I think that I'm saying and think that I'm believing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just the, I think part of what happened there was just like the willingness to look at all the ways in which I was not in alignment with what I knew to be true, you know? And the moment that I think I gave my willingness to be in alignment, um, you know, these types of things started happening that started to show like, this is what alignment looks like. This is what it looks like to be able to to love and appreciate um, you know, a brother or sister with whom if you if you talk intellectually about something, you may disagree about everything, but that's mm-hmm. completely okay, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's just a completely different experience. Um, let me pause there if you have something. Or- yeah, that's great. Um, you know, it, on this journey, I think us both, you know, e- even us where we agree with a lot of things, there's some things we really disagree on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just the most important thing is the relationship and the love you share between each other despite differences in belief and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. That's exactly it. So like to just kind of round this out and we don't have to 
keep going for that much longer here, but uh, you know, the key shift that started to happen to me then was that I realized that the reason I had thought I came to, you know, Kenya and Malawi and whatnot was not the real reason I came, you know, um, you know, in my cognitive mind, the real reason I came was to start these programs, you know, to help people, et cetera, et cetera. Turns out, you know, like, as I think of it now, the real reason I came was to be able to release all of that, all of that, for lack of better words, certainty around these cognitive ideas that I had mm. and was to grow in alignment with the truth of, you know, spirit within me, however you'd like to say that. And more than that, the I would just say the real reason I, I went was to learn to love and appreciate fundamentalist Christians. Mm. I mean, just as simple as that. Um, it, to learn to love and love them where they are. I shouldn't say, not that not that I agree with mm -hmm. the way that, you know, a, a predominantly conservative religious tradition thinks and acts, you know, by way of like the practicality of it or the skillfulness of it, of course not, but to be able to appreciate and love them exactly where they're at and mm -hmm. to know that it's not my job to try and change them. That indeed, like probably the thing that I can do the most helpful for them is just bless them and to be in as much of an advocate for their true self as I possibly can. You get what I'm saying? And so that's what I started to, to realize. So the, the last few years, again, I just have to say one or two more things because you might, you might be thinking, okay, this is great, Ryan. So like theoretically then your last few years in Malawi were like awesome. Right. <laughs> and that's where I'd say, well, snap, I am a, evidently a very slow learner because they weren't, they were still filled with a whole lot of stuff. And um, one of the things that I think I started to be aware of, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have experienced too, is the moment that you give your awareness to look at some of the ways in which we, we um, deceive ourselves and some of the ways in which our egoic structure, um, you know, does things, thinks things, you know, acts in particular ways that are not in alignment with our true self. The moment you give your awareness to look at that and be willing to, to integrate and or shift, um, chaos comes real fast, right? <laughs> right? Because because this is where, and however anybody wants to say it, I don't really care, but Carl Jung would say it like, the psyche wants to be integrated. Mm -hmm. Like it wants that wholeness. It wants that integration. So like all the parts are gonna come flying at you, you know? <laughs> and so part of what that means for this for this period of, of, you know, maturity, for lack of better words, or growth integration, is that it feels like chaos and it mm -hmm. feels, and it's really painful. And I think this is what is normally named as the dark night of the soul, mm. because it's this experience of all the things that I was holding onto or all the things that I was, yeah, I was holding onto by way of a sense of self, a sense of value, uh, you know, a sense of place in the world, you know, my own narrative of myself. All those things, they no longer have the the allure or like the value that they that you thought they did. Right. But you're still, but they're still like you're still faced with them mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. One, because maybe those are the structures you're in, or two, because they're kind of habituated desires, right? And so they they keep coming up. And so every time they come up, you see it and you say, okay, no, I don't need that anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Which which in a way sounds freeing, and it is. But on but the other side. Yeah, but then what? Exactly. So that's what comes up. And it's this experience of, man, um, I don't know, I don't know what I can do here. Uh, or no, say that in a different way. It almost feels like there's a part of the self that needs that fulfillment or that that affirmation. Um, but you, but since you're not giving it to it, it feels like it's dying, right? And mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so painful. And it's like sitting there watching and and you know walking with mm -hmm. this part of you that you slowly choose to to just um, 
uh, for lack of better words, release, you know, right. to no longer have the power that it had. That's a, my experience is that that's a really painful process. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, that's part of what, even as a team with my other uh, two colleagues, we, we all experience this in a slightly different way, but similarly as a team, of course, what happens is, and for anybody, um, your relationships become the key places where uh, triggers come up. Right. <laughs> so like it becomes chaos mm-hmm. with all of your significant um, you know, relationships and people mm-hmm. that you're with it, because they start triggering you in all the ways. And of course, what's happening is they are mirroring back to you exactly what you were projecting from the part of your mind you don't want to look at, right? So they're mirroring it back to you. So now they they are gifts to you in every single way because they are they are showing you what it is that's in your mind so that you can see it, so that you can look at it and so that you can release it. So, but can of you, co- sorry, can you explain that a little bit more? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'll just say, this is my understanding. And if somebody sees it differently, great. Um, but my understanding would be, you know, the part of our brain that functions this way is the reticular activating system. And what's so interesting about the reticular activating system is that it's in the lar- lower part of the, uh, the brain. You know, if you use the triune brain model, or you could say in the, in the amygdala, of course, there's a right and left side of the amygdala, but without going into all of that, um, that is what is normally called the subconscious mind. You know, it's the part of the mind that holds, um, the, the um, interiorized um, traumas, experiences, mm-hmm. you know, uh, narratives. What you're not aware of. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Especially from your, from ages zero to nine. Like it holds all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting about the reticular activating system in that it's, uh, specifically that it's tied to that part of your brain is that what the, what the I'll say RAS from now on. So what the RAS does is it, it projects out and it looks for that which confirms what is already within there, right? Mm, right. So if, if we did not have that, we would be in a situation where, well, I, I shouldn't even say that because I, who knows what it would be like if we didn't have that because that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So part of what that means is, you know, I think what some people don't realize is that when you experience someone, when something jumps out into into your attention, into your awareness, that somebody does or an event or anything, mm-hmm. it is being affected by the RAS, mm-hmm. right? Your perception you, is it uh, is influenced by it by your unconscious, and so that's you it. see things because of. Because of, of what you're because yeah. they're there. Yeah. Right. That's that's exactly it. it. So like most people don't realize that. So most people think when I see my spouse who is doing something that's annoying, she is objectively de facto irreg- you know, irregardless of me, she is annoying. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, no, that's not <laughs> how it works. What what you are seeing that you perceive and subjectively identify as annoying is precisely because you have it right here in yourself. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to look at it right there, or you can say in a way you can't look at it, but you can say you don't want to look at it. And thus you see it outside of you. And thus mm-hmm. you see it in somebody else. And that allows you, and this allows the part of the psyche that always wants to justify ourselves. And that allows us to say, you are the problem or you have the problem. Mm -hmm. I don't, Mm -hmm. right? But the RAS betrays us, right? Mm -hmm. Because what the RAS helps us to see is that the only reason I'm seeing that in you is because I have that in me, right? right? So that's why a person or a situation or relationship becomes a mirror. So now I can see what, so now if you just pay attention to everything that comes up in your awareness, especially what annoys you in relationships or situations, and instead of just making the quick de facto 
facto judgment of, man, that person's the worst Mm -hmm. or whatever. You say, okay, where do I have that in myself? Where have I experienced that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do I do anything that's similar to that? You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take a genius to wait two seconds and say, oh, snap. Yeah. Like I do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you know, any of us do this, like it happened to me yesterday. Uh, somebody cuts you off coming into the parking lot and, and, you know, um, drives the wrong direction, you know, yada, yada. And of course my immediate thought was, man, you, 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 whatever word you want (laughs) to use there, you know what I mean? And then literally like no joke, literally I did the exact same thing. Like three seconds later, Uh I didn't realize what I was doing, but I went the wrong direction and I pulled into a spot and somebody was sitting right there and was like, who said the exact same thing to me? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was just like, this happens all the time. We always, we, we find ways of being frustrated with others so that we don't have to feel that in and of ourselves. And the moment you give your willingness, your willingness to actually like look at that stuff, well, you the whole the whole world or your whole life becomes your for lack of better words your your dojo or how you'd mm. like to say that it becomes the space in which now you get to you get to integrate and mm. you get to look at all these ways in which you're not in alignment with your true self you know great it's joyful what's that yeah 100 <laughs> it's always so joyful yeah uh-huh. and you're so you're saying that this happens kind of after during the dark night of the soul because things are becoming uh coming to light and you're realizing that your personality, your identity that you had is not the truest part of yourself. And and then where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well said. And like, I, I think one could say like, this is part, probably part of the practice of, of awareness and mindfulness, you know, that I don't want to say is for the rest of your life, but you know, in a way it feels like it because it's a primary function of these brains that we're working with. You know what I mean? So there's no, you know, I'll just say in general, unless you are a particularly, you know, however you'd like to say it, spirit being who's lightened. just, yeah, lightened, whatever you want to say, <laughs> unless you're like that, which I'm going to doubt that you're like that anyway. But unless somebody is actually like that, I would say like, th- these are the mechanisms that we have in place that we work with as a part of being a, you know, in these body meat suits for lack of better words, you know what I mean? But like, I've normally seen that as a problem or, or like, man, I've got to, you know, get away from this mind body as quick as possible. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Or to where like, it's like, man, it's so frustrating to have this kind of mechanism of the way the brain works and the way it, you know, in general, like I would say it filters consciousness. It, it, you know, it, 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 I would say it in a way like, you know, it reduces our ability to actually experience what is, what is true mm-hmm. and like what is actually out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like in a way you can say that's really frustrating. Like I wish, wish we could experience more, but I think the primary function here is this, this willingness to, to live from this part of ourselves that is not immediately visible. And it's almost like living by faith. Mm. It's almost like one would think that there's some power to those words because what what you have to choose to say is, I'm going to choose to believe that who I am is more than my biography, my history. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to choose to believe that who you are is more than your biography, your history, your personality structure. You know what I mean? And it's like, I can't see it. And sometimes I can't even see it in your actions and I see the exact opposite. But it's choosing to, and it's not bypassing them by way of like, um, uh, uh, what, what's the word you'd like to use? Um, you know, uh, not that you just leave yourself in a toxic relationship or situation mm-hmm. just because you're trying to see the best in them. No, it's, it's utilizing all of the logic and boundaries that you can, but it is choosing to see them from outside of the particular conditioning narrative that they have grown up in or that they think that they are in, but using it in a way that it illuminates 
the parts of your mind that need to be illuminated. And that's where every brother and sister, every person, every situation is a gift. Mm-hmm. It's a gift because it illuminates something for us in our minds. It, mm-hmm. it prompts in us a reminder of, man, I know who that person is. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I know that there's part of me here that wants to project, that wants to see guilt in them, that wants mm-hmm. to see whatever in them. And I know that, and the way I would say it is, part of what my experience has been, the the healing of that is the my willingness to see it in myself and thus to forgive it in myself. Mm-hmm. And in some weird way, that heals it and forgives it for both of us. Right. And, and I say in some weird way, I think like probably some of our listeners are, uh, you know, are keen to think about the world by way of, um, you know, the oneness of mind or however you'd like to say that. And I would just say, even like from a perspective of Jesus's words, you know, the first time around um, is whatever you see or do, whatever you see in someone else, you see in yourself, whatever you do for someone else, you do for yourself. And then of course, Jesus gave us this, this really nice, interesting triangulation of, yeah, but whatever you do for them or see, see in them, you also see in Jesus, right. Mm -hmm. Or in the Christ, you could say, and that's a really interesting little triangle. And if you, if you allow yourself to live within that awareness in whatever way it it works or makes sense for you, that completely shifts every single interaction you have. It shifts everything, you know? So this, I find this to be helpful because it's a, it's a very practical way of thinking and living. It's not, it's not esoteric and it's not a, or go yeah, ahead. Sorry. It was just a way of uh, integrating, you know, your own selfishness. Uh, I need to protect myself. And it's like, you know what? I can't totally get rid of this, but I can say, Hey, helping my brother helps me. You know, we, yeah. we're all helping each other. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and it's that recognition that we are more, we are more, of one mind than I think we think we are, right. or I'll say for some of us. Some of us I know really think that. Um, but but the beauty of that is the way in which I get to experience the blessing of my brother as a blessing of myself. Mm-hmm. And I get to experience my own healing as a healing of my brother or sister as well. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a really beautiful way in which there is the, I think we could say, whatever narrative works for you by way of... Um, the the healing of one heals the all, the reconciliation of all things, however you'd like to say that. Right. It's a really practical way of experiencing it and, uh, and of working it out. Anyway, it was a lot on that. Sorry for that, um, that uh, <laughs> no, that's monotribe there. Um, so you were, you know, talking about the, the last years of Malawi and now you're here in America. So what happened there? Yeah, I'll say, you know, um, like I said earlier, um, because I, you know, these last few years, and I mean, I'm still in it now, um, you know, is the undoing of some of this, you know, fear-based personality structure, et cetera, um, and or just the being as mindful and aware of of some of these tendencies and or thought patterns that I have. Um, one of the things that happened in, in the last year and a bit, or I should say, um, so we've been here for what, 10 months. So the year and a bit before that, our last year in Malawi, was that I basically burned myself out. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is one of the big narratives that I think anybody um, who knew me and knows me could have said, "Um, Ryan, we all saw that coming. You know what I mean? So I just say this in the obvious way of like one of the, the biggest aspects of my 
personality structure and kind of thought patterns that I have habituated as Ryan for all these years is what I said at the very beginning of this podcast, which was the 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 amount of uh, value I place on not just productivity doing things, but on succeeding in particular ways. So I was, um, it was my role to manage our coffee farm and our coffee roastery. Um, and everything that, everything that went along with that, which was a lot of fun in a lot of ways, but also, um, naturally, you know, um, uh, starting a business and then getting a business to a place to where it not only breaks even, but is in some way profitable, just takes a lot of work. It just, it's, it's a big effort as I think a lot of our listeners probably have done and are aware. And one of the things on top of that is if you unfortunately have somebody whose personality structure orients around success, then that's going to be really painful because what that's going to look like is you're going to burn yourself out trying to make sure that thing succeeds. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what I did. Even though like I could sit, I can sit here and say all this. And even though like during that period, um, you know, I was, partly aware of what was happening, but it did not, it did not stop the fact that I felt that I really needed to do this. And now, of course, there's a lot of things at play. This relates to my team. This relates to our organization. So there's a lot of things at play here that, you know, I needed to do a good job anyway. Um, but of course, part of my personality structure was that I, I did a I did a really good job, um, but burned myself out in the process. And it came up point a period where I felt that I was just completely done. Like mm. there's no way I can just keep doing this. Mm. And um, that's where, again, um, synchronistically, um, several things started to happen. I don't need to go through it, but several things happened in several different areas of life and angles that basically was shouting out us, um, it's time to go. You can, you can leave Malawi now. And um, the reason why I can say it that way is because um, what I what I feel like really happened there, and like I don't I don't say this, uh, you know I I don't know who I've really said this to, but I'll say it, and it's that I felt like the interior journey of why I was in Malawi came to a close mm -hmm. with that experience and that realization of that that kind of key part of my personality structure that needed to be to be that I need to be aware of and that I needed to be able to release in whatever way I could. So that was, it was kind of like that, that component as it related to all the other components that I was talking about my, you know, learning to see my Malawian colleagues and, you know, fellow Christians, um, in different ways, et cetera, et cetera. So I really felt like basically it came to a, a really nice conclusion. I, well, no, I shouldn't say really nice conclusion. It came to a conclusion, but it was a really painful series of months um, mm. as we chose to leave Malawi and move to Texas. Because of course, um, you know, anytime you shift, um, you know, make big changes in your life, let alone moving across continents, but also, um, you know, leaving teammates, leaving friends, et cetera, et cetera, is really difficult. Mm. And there was a lot that was really difficult about it. And uh, I don't need to go into all that right now. I can just say like, part of what, again, that happened in that process and that I've been learning, that I'm still learning, is learning to trust the guidance um, from within, which is to say the spirit within me. Um, because part of what we had to do, and I think this is where some of the wisdom that comes is for those who are able, 
to have a bit more of a community of wisdom, a community of discernment. And this is what traditionally, you know, churches and or, you know, particular religious institutions are to provide and, and were to provide, you know, a bit more communal discernment, communal wisdom, you know? So like when I have a thought and, and I say, hey, I think we need to do this, but, you know, guidance within other people around me is like, no, we don't need to do that. You know, that's worth something. It's worth paying mm-hmm. attention to what some of the communal guidance is so that it's not just a, uh, hey, I'm going to do whatever Ryan thinks Ryan needs to do. Right. And I think I'm right because I heard this voice you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That gets us into a lot of problems. And that's where, you know, wherever some of our listeners are at by way of being able to have a community around them of discernment in key parts of their life or all the time, like that's really valuable. And if, if it can't be, you know, anything within a normal, uh, I say normal, within a particular religious tradition, no problem. Then just find it somewhere else. You know what I mean? But that's super important. And I say that because, um, you know, I and my wife, Justine, and, and several others around us, we engaged in kind of a process like that to discern as best we could, um, you know, not just myself, but several of us. And, and we felt that we, and still do, that we listened well and made the decisions that needed to be made, even though they're really hard. They're hard for us. They're hard for everybody around us. And it's been a process of even healing with those relationships, even though like we feel good about the shift and how it happened, when it happened, um, you know, it always leaves people in a, in a difficult spot in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So that's, that's still part of the journey. And it's just learning to discern well and learning to pay attention to, the, to my decisions and how my decisions affect other people and learning to pay attention to the ways in which um, that needs to be taken into consideration. Not, not that you don't end up doing it if it's something that you really feel and know that you need to do, but in a way in which values and appreciates the situation or the people around you, because once again, they are a part of you also, you know? So, and that's part of what the feeling and experience was. It was, it was a, a liberating of particular parts of myself but it was also in the same way hurting other parts of myself that needed the, the reconciliation as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just looking at things from a little bit more of a holistic perspective like that, or I'll just say like kind of a, a larger perspective to me is helpful because it, it gives a little bit more awareness as to what's going on rather than, you know, the common verbiage of I will do whatever I feel guided right. to do. It's right. like, no, please don't do that. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you're just saying that just because you felt that you were doing the right thing and also getting guidance from others doesn't mean that it wasn't still painful and there wasn't, um, you know, that, that, you know, you're, you're, you're helping other people and that, you know, that there was going to be a void when you left. Um, mm-hmm. not that it can be filled, but just that, uh, doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect and smooth. Yeah, and, um, that's it. I also want to add too. you know, uh, I know, you know, from talking to you that, you were really trying to figure out, you know, where you're going to move, what you were going to do with your life. And so even if we know that we need to move on from a situation, it doesn't always mean that we know what that is. And so there's often a period of, you know, more anxiety, more uh, what, what's next. And mm-hmm. um, the, that it's it's a learning, you know, process of, of learning to to trust in, mm-hmm. in God that he will provide something next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well said. And um yeah, well, I don't need to add anything to that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's perfectly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, needless to say, 
there's always a thousand more things to right. say, but we're already at an hour and a half. So I'll, I'll taper it down here and just say, one, I appreciate being able to to share kind of some of these experiences, mainly because it's just helpful to be able to articulate them and to think through them. Like even just as I've been talking here today, uh, I feel that different aspects of them have become clearer in my mind and are, are integrating in some way, mm-hmm. you know, so it's always helpful to articulate. Um, but, and needless to say, a lot more to say as it relates to where we are now, where we're moving forward, but I bet we can do that another day. Right. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, you know, yeah, this has all been great. And, uh, you know, just as we've done some, but we can go more in depth and, in, in a lot of different, uh, these, these aspects that are all, all great and important. And I'm sure that we will continue to do that in the future. So I look forward to that. And 100%. again, thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your journey, your story again. Um, it's great to hear it again in, in more in depth and and like you said I I learned more and understood it more this uh, second time so hopefully our learners, listeners um, gained a lot from it as well yeah 100% well yeah thanks Kendall and uh, appreciate it and I think I can say on your behalf if you have any questions or thoughts or comments feel free to send them to Kendall yes. and he'll answer them <laughs> but if anything comes up um, you know in regards to anything that we shared today you know either critiques or I want to know more about this whatever probably get in touch with with Kendall um, via the podcast or the discord chat and um, I'd be happy to either reach out and say more or we can talk about it in future episodes so yeah, yeah. thanks Kendall great mm-hmm.